last week we kicked off this series, 2018, uh, the end of 2017. Now this is the first week of 2018. We're continuing this series that um, we, we started, and we're embracing the fact that God designed us to be to, to be party people. Let's get it started. Let's get it started. Let's get it started. Let's get it started. So last week we talked about this this concept of being party people. Now we're not going to continue to play that music all gathering, although some of you might be disappointed if we don't. Um, but but we are going to talk, continue to talk today about what it means to be joy-filled followers of Jesus Christ. And so it's our responsibility to let the joy of the Lord out of our vessels. And so if we're honest, it's not necessarily the reputation that Christians have had throughout history. I came across a quote that I thought I'd share with you at the beginning of this message this morning that might help you understand. This is from a Christian leader in the late 1800s, and this is how he describes Christianity. He says, Christianity is the haunting fear that someone somewhere is having a good time. That, that's how Christianity was described by a Christian leader in the late 1800s. It's a, a haunting fear that someone somewhere is having a good time, and we need to do something about that because, you know, the Christians can't have, we've got to put a stop to the good times of these Christians around us. Some of you might have grown up in a church like that. That, that, you know, you were kind of told we're going to be solemn and solitude is going to take place where people said they loved God and they were full of joy, but they never told their face about it because uh, they didn't demonstrate any joy in their being. Maybe they were grumpy or harsh or critical or, or judgmental. So New Life wants to be known as a church that enjoys life, that we enjoy doing life and celebrating life together. Why? Because we have every reason to enjoy this great life that God has given to us. Our joy, last week we talked about this, is not dependent upon our circumstances because our circumstances are full of challenges. They're full of struggles and full of hardship. It's rather, it's in spite of those circumstances that we have joy. We're not going to turn a blind eye toward the things that are really happening all around us. It's not that we're naive optimists that refuse to acknowledge the challenges of life around us, but instead, our perspective is that no matter what happens in our life, we can have joy. No matter what happens. And so last week, we looked a little bit at the Old Testament, and I hope you enjoyed that last week. If you weren't here, uh, we, we want you to go back and listen to the podcast, and hopefully you learned a little bit about the feasts uh, that we find in Leviticus. Feasts are another term for party, uh, 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 an opportunity to celebrate God's goodness. And so we saw in the book of Leviticus how God made it clear what his expectations are for his people, and we read that celebration is a big deal to God. Pause. Hi, Katie, how are you? Welcome home from the East Coast. I didn't get to see you last week, and Derek's here again. We're so glad these guys are in college in the East Coast representing well. So welcome them. Would you, would you do that? Amen. It's good to see you. Right on. Unpause. And God put these feasts, these celebrations, these parties on the calendar as a way of requiring his people to celebrate. And if People back then had a reason to celebrate. How much more do we have a reason to celebrate today? Because we're on this side of the cross, right? One of the seven feasts, or of the seven feasts, of the, of the seven parties that we studied last week, we learned that each of them had a dual purpose, two sides to the coin. 
One part was uh, commemoration, and the other part of, part of the celebration was anticipation. The commemoration side meant we're looking back and we're celebrating what God had done. You need to look back in your life and celebrate what God has done in you and through you and for you. But it was also about looking ahead with gratitude and this kind of hopeful expectancy at what God was going to do through the Messiah, through his son, Jesus Christ. And so in the Old Testament, generation after generation after generation, they would celebrate with these prescribed parties all together. And all of them are pointing to this one moment in time, one moment in time when God would send his son, Jesus Christ, on the scene. And then as we studied uh, just a few weeks ago during the Advent season, during the Christmas season, when Jesus did come, the angels announced it, and they announced it this way, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That's what the angel said about Jesus. He is good news, good news of great joy that will be for all of the, not some of the people, not a select few people, not just the Jewish people, but all of the people. And when Jesus comes, it says he will bring great joy. Great joy. And so we read throughout the gospels that wherever Jesus went, it seemed like from one place to another, joy seemed to follow him wherever he went. And so today we're going to take a look at a couple of examples of this. But before we do that, I want to understand some context of what we're going to be reading. While Jesus is bringing about joy, it's the religious leaders that are kind of the, the shot blockers of joy that Jesus is trying to spread. It's the religious leaders, the Pharisees, that are trying, uh, trying to bring down Jesus. So Jesus comes on the scene, he brings great joy, but there are these party killers that are trying to suck the joy out of the place. You ever had a joy sucker in your life? Some of you don't want to say yes because you're sitting next to the joy sucker right now. The, these religious leaders, these Pharisees, had their own ideas of what the Messiah should look like, of who the Messiah should be, of how he would operate, and Jesus just did not fit into their neat little box. So they were constantly condemning and constantly critical of Jesus. So we're going to take a look um, in the book of Luke and the book of John. Before we do that, let me just start with just one verse in the book of Matthew. We're hanging out in the Gospels. Matthew chapter 11, verse number 19, really underlines the problem that the Pharisees had with Jesus. Take a look at verse number 19 with me. It says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They had a problem, the religious leaders of the day had a problem with Jesus because he was spending too much time eating food, spending too much time uh, drinking wine, spending too much time hanging out with his friends, many of whom did not have good reputations and were shunned by the religious leaders of the day. So he's hanging out with the wrong people, he's eating too much food, he's drinking, drinking wine, and so the what they did was they criticized Jesus for how he celebrated and for who he celebrated with. They were all over Jesus and his case. Amen. So today, I want to look at two parties that Jesus had and or went to. Two parties that are at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus we're going to take a look at one in the book of Luke and one in the book of John, but I want you to remember both of these parties mark the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. When did the ministry of Jesus begin? 
It began when he was 30 years old, continued for about three years until he was crucified, buried, and rose from the dead. So this three-year period of his ministry on earth was constantly marked by celebrations. I'm not minimizing what Jesus said or what Jesus did. What we're doing is we're bringing in some clarity to it, helping us understand that Jesus brought joy. Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to start today. So if you've got your Bible, turn there. If you don't have your Bible, bring it next time. We want to make sure you bring your Bible with you to church. Luke chapter 5, uh, beginning at verse number 27. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. Uh, it should be the same or really, really close on the screen as it's a newer version electronically than it is the one that I have in front of me. Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse number 27. Take a look at it with me. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now I want to stop for just a second because at this point in the story, these first couple of verses set up the reason for this very first celebration, set up the reason for this very first party. Tax collectors, you might know, tax collectors in this day were about one rung on the social ladder beneath prostitutes at that point. So they were really, really down in, the, in society. Um, they, would, they were the, the, the considered the thieves. That what they were doing is they were taking money from the, um, the Israelites, the, the Jewish people, whose nation was occupied at that point by Rome. And so they were taking money from their people, and they were giving the tax to the Roman government, but the way they made their living, or really the way they padded their living, was they would charge as much as they possibly could uh, to the people, to their people, and then they would pay Rome what Rome was due, and they would keep the rest for themselves. So they were stealing from their own people. They'd collect the taxes, and they were crooked, and they were greedy. And so Levi, who was also known as Matthew, so Levi uh, was hated by his own people, and he was despised by his own people. In fact, people would go out of their way to avoid walking by his booth. They'd go out of their way to shun this guy. The religious leaders, they would not even allow him to enter into the church he couldn't even come into the tabernacle because they passed a rule that declared tax collectors to be unclean. Now, let me just flip the script on that. We think that the church is not for the, the well. The church is for the sick. Can someone say amen? And so we want to welcome people that, from all different lives uh, and, and backgrounds and experiences and say, listen, you're welcome here in the house of the Lord. But the religious leaders and the religious people of that day had nothing to do with Levi. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he says to Levi, hey, come with me, follow me. And what's really interesting is he did. Levi got up, Matthew got up, turned away from his tax collector booth, and he followed Jesus. This is the sign of repentance in someone's life. When we leave behind our way of life, the path that we have been on, and we choose intentionally to follow Jesus Christ, that's called repentance. And so now Levi has this new life. He's experiencing this powerful life, and he's got a new purpose. What's he gonna do now? Well, the only logical thing he can do is he decides, I better throw a party. 
I better throw a party. Doesn't that sound like a good idea? When you get set free from who you were and you're put on a new path, that path that leads to everlasting life, then it might be a good idea to throw a party. And that's exactly what he decides to do. Verse number 29, continuing on in chapter 5. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and large crowd, a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. A large crowd of his friends, of tax collectors, the hated, the social rung underneath prostitutes, these people that were hated by the religious people and the religious leaders. So what he, what's he do? He has a party for all the people that were his friends. He didn't leave his friends. See, he transformed his friends. And that, that's our job, is transformation. See, nobody else could bloom where he was planted because they weren't planted to be able to bloom there. And so he chose to be, be uh, used by God where he was at, continuing on. Verse number 30, but the Pharisees, the Pharisees, who are those? Those are the religious leaders of the day and the teachers of the law who belong to the, their, their sect, their religion, um, complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Well, they weren't talking to Jesus. They were talking to Jesus' friends. They were talking to Jesus' disciples. Jesus hears this. I don't know if it's through his supersonic hearing, whether it was purely divine or purely in the natural. I don't know, but Jesus hears this, and he answers the question. Don't you love it when you're asking somebody a question and somebody else gives you the answer, right? And so the answer is given by the only one who has the answer. And Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Why would you celebrate life with these people, was the question. Why would you even be with these people, is the question. I want you to know that when it says, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, a better translation would be where Jesus says, it's not, it's not those who think that they are healthy that need a doctor. You see, the problem with the religious leaders, of course, is that they were sick and they didn't even know that they were sick. They were in desperate need of a doctor, but they didn't recognize their need for the great physician. And so Jesus is at this banquet, what I'm calling a house party, Jesus is at this house party eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners, and this violates the traditions of the religious leaders. So, so you, you know what happens, you know what happens to them. They miss out. If, if they're angry about the party that's taking place, they're gonna miss out on the celebration. Amen. Now you need to get this. Because if you're angry about the party that's taking place, then you also are going to miss out on the celebration. Why are they missing on the celebration? Because they were too caught up in their own customs and religion and rituals. Amen. Reminds me, you guys will remember this, about 10 years ago, I was in ministry at another church. I had spent a lot of time working with a group of people. The group of people were um, uh, mixed martial arts fighters. And these mixed martial arts fighters did not have their lives really all that together, okay? So they were a messed up bunch of people. And they were sitting on this side of the church. Uh, I got the, they got them to come to church. All it took was like one or two of them to come to church. And everybody else said, yeah, I'll go to church, man. And they show up in church. They weren't dressed the way people should be dressed when they come to church. Um, in athletic shorts, uh, 
I don't know what you call them, the tank top, like t-shirt stuff, all tatted up everywhere, you know. I loved it. And they're sitting in church, they're wearing the wrong clothes, they're acting the wrong way. I remember one, I'm preaching away, I'm just giving it my all. And one guy's over there just waving his hands, wiggling his fingers at me. Like he's in school, like I'm supposed to call him, say, yes, what's your question over there, sir? <laughs> and he didn't know how to act in church. I gave the altar call at the end of the message, and um, uh, they, uh, I don't know if any of them were left. At the end of preaching that, that service that I thought was awesome, that the Lord really moved, and we had people saved, grown men just buff just weeping like babies before the Lord. And I had a guy come up to me after church, and he wanted to know, Pastor, what, what are you going to do about these interruptions and this disrespect in the church? <laughs> to which I took a cleansing breath. You mean, you mean the young man who didn't grow up in church, but who ran to the altar and gave his life to Jesus Christ at the end of the gathering during the altar call? You mean the guy that's weeping at the front, probably left stains on the carpet? You mean, you mean that guy? This brother did not make the connection with my sarcasm. <laughs> he didn't understand. And my adrenaline was through the roof at this point. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So the only thing I knew to do, which I thank God today I did, was just walk away. Just walk away. Just I wanted to just shake the dust off my, you know, just walk. I wanted to say, um, get thee behind me, Satan. Yeah. I wanted to just say, whore of Babylon, get out. I, I, I don't know. I, I, he didn't make the connection to my sarcasm. You ever had an imaginary conversation with someone a day or two later, then you thought of all the things you could have said to them? You ever thought of that? Yeah. You're like, oh, I should have write that down so I can say that to him the next time. Man, how these conversations in my head. I wanted to come to church the next Sunday in athletic shorts and buy those like tats, the sleeves I could put all the way up here and just, I wanted This brother missed out on the party. He missed out on the celebration because he was too caught up in the way he thought church should be done. We don't have that problem here. I know we don't have that problem here. That's because you're here, right? But I also have to confess on the other side of this because I don't want to look like just a the good guy. I have to confess the other side. There have been times that I've missed out on the party. There have been times that I've missed out on the celebration because I, it, it's not how I thought it should be done. We can miss out on the celebration. We can miss out on the party um, that should fill our hearts with joy because we're so caught up in tradition or a way of thinking um, that isn't necessarily biblical. So I just want to caution us this year that um, we've got to be full of celebration, right? Look for the, look for the party. Uh, I think Levi does one of the most spiritual things he could have done. He throws a party to celebrate his encounter with Jesus Christ. And he invites other people who don't know Jesus Christ to come and sit with Jesus and friends of Jesus so they can get to know Jesus because it's the best thing that's ever happened in my life. Amen. And he's excited about it. We don't read anything about Jesus preaching a sermon at this party, at this house party. It just seems they were enjoying life together. They were getting to know Jesus and they were getting to know what he was like. It wasn't like one of those 
and I've been guilty of hosting these before, but it, it wasn't one of those bait and switch Super Bowl parties, you know, where you're invited to come to the Super Bowl, big screen, all that kind of stuff, free giveaways, and then halftime, you turn off that sinful halftime show, and you preach the gospel of Jesus to a bunch of unknowing people, right? Um, and then everybody gets kind of ticked off and stuff because you did that. I'm not saying that those ministries aren't helpful in some regards. It just, it's, I, don't, I don't believe in bait and switch. Just connect with people. Perhaps the most spiritual thing that you will do this week is to open up your life, open up your heart, open up your home to people who don't know Jesus and introduce them to some people who do. Maybe introduce them even you know, to Jesus, the Jesus with skin on you. Get to know them. There's a theme throughout the Gospels. The people who were shunned by the religious leaders seem to always feel welcomed and embraced by Jesus. That's the theme that you're going to read over and over again. Why do you think that is? I think it's because Jesus liked them. <laughs> I, I don't, it wasn't that they were his project. People can pick up on, a, on a, uh, if, if you've got any sort of a motive, an agenda, people can pick up on that very quickly. There wasn't any of that there. No, no, we do know that Jesus cared about their eternal future, right? But it wasn't that they were his project. I think he genuinely loved people. Wouldn't that just change our culture? If we genuinely loved people, even people, that we don't like their behavior. You see, Jesus didn't expect people who were not followers to act like followers of Jesus Christ. He, he was not offended by someone who wasn't a follower, who acted like they weren't a follower. I don't think we should be either. And so people felt comfortable around Jesus. He felt comfortable around them. That's a value for our church, guys. That's part of who we are. We're going to do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Jesus. So matter, no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at, you are welcome at New Life Church. We want you here. You might be a PhD or you might be working on your GED. We don't care. We don't care. Uh, you're welcome, you're invited to the party. You might have a different political view than the person sitting next to you. That, that, that's okay with us. You, you might have a different background than the person next to you. You're still invited to the party. You might have come from, uh, you might be brand new to this Christian uh, lifestyle, or, or you might have been seasoned in it your whole life. You're both welcome to the party. You might have come from the Baptist background, or the Lutheran background, or the Methodist background, or vegetarian background. I don't know. You, um, if you're vegetarian, it doesn't matter. We have cake at the party, okay? So you can still enjoy, right? We invite you to the party because, because that's what Jesus did. The point is Jesus welcomes everyone. I want you to turn now to John chapter 2 to a different party, just a few pages uh, forward in your Bible. John chapter 2. I want to begin with verse, um, uh, verse number Let's just do verse number one. It won't be on the screen. Verse number two will be on the screen, but I don't like starting in the middle of a sentence. So uh, beginning of verse number one. On the third day, everybody say third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And then verse number two, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Let me just kind of throw a thought out there before I go into this party that they're going to have. Jesus and his disciples were invited to the party. If your life is a celebration, don't forget to invite Jesus Amen. in the celebration. Amen. I just think that's really important. Just, 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 just a thought. They were invited to the party, which is nice, but to me, it kind of seems as I think about Scripture, I try to think about it, 
use my, my brain and process it a little bit. As I think about it, it seems that Jesus would not have had time to go to this party. You see, a wedding celebration wasn't a wedding celebration like we have today. It's a couple hours after the wedding is over. It was a week-long party, an entire week. You didn't leave. It was disrespectful to leave. You stayed for the entire time. They, they really knew how to celebrate, how to party for a wedding back then. And surely Jesus knows that, you know, from this point forward, I have three years in my ministry. I've got a whole lot of stuff that I've got to download to my disciples, that I've got to teach my disciples to make sure that they have all the information, they're thoroughly equipped, so that when I leave, in just three short years, you know, they're ready to go. So it's, it's, uh, it's kind of surprising to me that Jesus accepts the invitation to this party. It's not really surprising when you think about it, because that's who Jesus was. He accepts the invitation to this party, and his disciples are there, and it's the third day, and the wine runs out. Now, verse number three. Stay with me now. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Hmm. This is why it's such a big deal. You can't miss the significance of this, or you're going to miss the significance of this entire party. It's such a huge deal. In the Jewish culture, wine was a symbol of joy. Now, it, it's not like an indirect symbol, like when you drink a lot of wine, there's a lot of joy. It, it wasn't that. It was rather a direct symbol of joy. Now, before we go any further, I want to make sure I put some of you at ease so you're not distracted by what we're reading in the Bible today. The Bible is also very clear about the sin of drunkenness. Very clear about that. It's not what we're talking about today, but you need to know that in that culture, in that time when this was written, that people, kids from a young age, were taught about drinking wine with limitations so as not to get drunk. They were, they were, they were taught to practice great restraint back then. Wine was used as a symbol of joy, but also they didn't have water treatment plants like we have today, right? And so it was also a way of purifying, uh, purifying some of the, the liquid that was drained. There's a lot of arguments out there between theologians about the proof of the wine, that it was much more watered down than it was today. But I will say this, at the wedding, the best wine, the best wine was offered. So wine was a direct symbol of joy. And the fact that there was this, there was this rabbinical saying at the time, rabbinical, rabbi, rabbi simply means teacher. There was a teacher's saying, teacher of the Bible, of the word, I should say. Um, uh, and it, here's how it went. It's that they were the teachers of the word would say, there is no rejoicing without wine. They would say that. They proclaim this. this. There's a number of scriptures that make this connection. And so for a Jewish wedding reception to run out of wine literally meant that they were running out of joy. It was a bad omen for the married couple. It declared that the married couple, the marriage, was going to be a joyless marriage. It was a bad deal. And so mother, or Mary says, the mother of Jesus says to Jesus, the joy is gone. The joy is gone. And Jesus kind of responds, well, why are you telling me this? Wait, what's, what's up with that? It's, it's, not, it's not my wedding. It's, it's not my party. And Mary turns to the servants immediately after that in verse number five. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I kind of think she had the whole eyebrow raise on that one. Do whatever he tells you. You know? And, and this is called in sales, this is called the assumptive close. <laughs> if you've ever studied sales before in business, um, it's, it's kind of like rising up from the meeting and saying, this is what's going to happen, and then leaving. 
It's the assumptive close. And understand, Jesus did not do this miracle, though, because his mama told him to. Some people misunderstand that. Jesus did not go out to his friends and say, you know, I really wanted to save my first miracle for something big. I mean, really, really big. But mom says I have to. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what took place. There's a lot of symbolic truth that's taking place right here in this party. It's not an accident that Jesus begins his ministry. His first miracle is this one. It's not an accident that he begins his ministry by bringing joy to a great wedding feast. Because fast forward in the scriptures to the book of Revelation, we read about a great wedding feast, a great wedding banquet that's going to take place where it says our joy is going to be made complete. So it's, 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 not, it's not an accident this is taking place. By the way, when did this happen? When did they run out of wine? I already asked you, to, when? The third day. It's also not an accident that three days into this, all joy was gone. All hope was gone. All seemed to be lost. There was an attitude of desperation with the people. You follow me? Because just fast forward, just a couple of years, and it seemed like on the third day, all hope was gone. All joy was gone. That there was going to be a problem. That there was nothing hope for giving them hope for a future. And then Jesus rose from the dead, victorious over it all. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Look at verse number six and verse number seven. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Verse number seven. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Now remember, running out of wine at the wedding was considered to be this especially bad omen. It meant that the marriage was going to run out of joy. So this was a big deal. Now, they thought they had enough for the party. Nobody plans a wedding and says, yeah, I don't know. One's just getting, um, I don't know, three or four. I don't know. They just throw a number out there. You calculate. You spend a, a, an amount of time. And if we spend an amount of time thinking about how many refreshments we need for people that come to our two or three hour wedding, wedding reception, surely they spend an amount of time thinking about this for them. And so they had planned this out. They thought they had enough wine for the party. They thought that they had run the numbers. They, I mean, they had run the numbers. They thought that everything was going to be fine. What do you do then? When you think everything is fine, when you plan the best you can in your life, what do you do when your marriage runs out of joy? What do you do when your job runs out of joy? What do you do when your home runs out of joy? Now what do you do? Now what do you do? Right in the middle of it all just seems like it all just goes dry. What do you do then? When the wine runs out, Jesus takes this water and he turns it into wine. When I was younger, I used to think of this story as, um, well, you know, like a lemonade pitcher. You know, you just, woof, like a kind of a cool, not like he was a magician, and we just, bam, there it was. They're just turned into wine. But when, I want you to get a visual of this. Many of you have seen us do water baptisms at the church before, and the water baptismal tank we have is affectionately known as a horse trough, all right, um, on wheels, but the water baptismal tank that we have is 150 gallons filled to the brim. That's how much water Jesus turned into wine. He transformed all of this. So that's a lot. It takes us an hour to fill that baptismal tank with a hose, with a garden hose. Uh, they didn't have a garden hose back then. 
That's a lot of joy that Jesus brings to the party. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. I got to thinking about this, and I know this isn't in the Bible, but this is just Troy's way of thinking. I wonder if, Daljeet, I wonder if maybe it's 150 gallons for a reason. Because our water baptism tank, I don't know of a man, woman, boy, or girl that couldn't be immersed in that tank. I wonder if maybe it's, there's something deeper to it. And I would just suggest to you, maybe Jesus is saying, there's nobody alive that cannot be immersed in the joy that I have for you. Because 150 gallons is enough to cover anybody and to fill anybody. There's no problem that cannot be solved with that amount of joy. And these jars, um, they, to be filled with water, and the, when they're filled with water, they had a purpose. And the purpose was this, what's called ceremonial washing. People were to take the water from the jar and wash themselves off before they go into the party. It was a, a ritual. It was a religious thing to do. This was not something that God had said you need to do. This is something that the religious people said they needed to do. And, and what does Jesus do with these religious jars? He fills these religious jars with wine. Some, now, the religious leaders would have been outraged by this. You did what? For thousands of years... These ceremonial washing jars have been used for ceremonial washing. How dare you? They had an express purpose, and that's the way it had been done, and that's the way it should continue to be done. And Jesus takes these religious jars, and he fills them with joy. That is what Jesus Christ came to do. That's the difference that Jesus should make in our lives, in our marriages, in our churches, in our workplaces, in our schools. He brings the joy. Amen. I like doing weddings. They're easy to do, They're easy enough to do. You just got to remember the two names, right? And make sure you look at the, say, bride when it's bride and groom when it's groom. Enjoy. I remember one time I did a wedding many, many years ago, back when we were in Iowa, pastoring. My wife was not able to go with me to this particular wedding. I did the wedding, and oftentimes I'll do the wedding, and I just won't stick around for the reception, just schedules or whatever. But I decided I'm going to stick around. I didn't have anything else to do, so I decided, well, I'm going to stick around for the reception for a little bit and hang out. It was a boring reception. I'm telling you, dry reception. And I'm like, well, nobody's dancing. The toasts aren't really going. They're just, it's a drab. I'm a little embarrassed for the situation until one of my friends comes up to me. I'm young in the ministry, and I'm looking very pastoral, because that's what I thought I was supposed to look. And my friends comes up to me and says, hey, Troy, how you doing? I'm like, I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing good. So, Troy, got any plans tonight? <laughs> to which I said, yeah, I thought I'd hang out here at this reception. Enjoy a little bit. And he said, well, um, have you noticed that people aren't really partying? You know, I did. I noticed that. He's like, I bet if, if you left... <laughs> yeah, I understand. I'll leave. Thank you. For, I'll see you at church on Sunday. And, uh, and I, I, I want to be like Jesus. I, I want to bring joy to the party, right? And unfortunately, at that stage, I just wasn't, I guess. I don't know. One more thing. I, before we, I know we're running out of time here, but I want you to go back to verse number five. There's something powerful about a couple of verses that we cannot overlook. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. I don't think she knew what he was going to say to do. 
I don't think Mary knew that Jesus was going to say, turn that water into wine. I don't think that's what was going to happen. Just do whatever he tells you to do. She knew that whatever Jesus said to do, that if they would just do what Jesus said to do, that the joy was going to come back. Mary had enough faith to believe that if they would just obey the Son of God, that something good was going to happen in their life. There's a part of me as a preacher, there's a part of me as a teacher of the Word of God that simply wants to get up here on a Sunday morning and say this. Ladies and gentlemen, do what the Bible says to do. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his faith. Seriously. If we would just do what the Bible says in every Sunday message, in every counseling appointment, in every teaching that I give, whatever the Bible says to do, um, do that. Do, do that. Do what Jesus says to do and see how that works out for you. Because how's it working for you doing it on your own? Some of the reason you're lacking for joy in some of your relationships and in your home, maybe at your workplace, is because you're not doing what Jesus said to do. Stop it. Do what he said to do. It may not make sense, but try it. How do I know that? Well, in these water jars, Heather, these water jars weren't full. There's 150 gallons. There weren't a hose back then. <laughs> these guys had to throw the bucket down in the well, down in the cistern, and they had to fill it up and... And then they had to dump it. There's a lot of work involved. And 150 gallons. Let's say that there's uh, each of those buckets that they're pulling up with water is five gallons. You math people, how many buckets is that? It's a lot of buckets. And they had no idea why they were doing this. Jesus just said, fill, the, 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 fill those jars full of water. Maybe. Just maybe. Jesus is telling you to fill the jars with water, and you don't have a clue why. Keep your hand to the plow. Keep walking. Keep pulling that bucket up, baby. Because you know what's fixing to happen? Your joy. Your joy is going to return. A miracle is going to take place. So these guys are busting their butts. They're sweating, and it's hot, and it's supposed to be a wedding, and they're like to, I don't know, they're dumping into the cisterns. You know when that happens. I'm not sure if they had funnels or what. They're probably half of it's going in the desert ground, and they're doing it again and again and again and again and again. And they fill these things. They feel, that's the difference. It didn't make sense. But through obedience, the joy returned to the party. Through your obedience, the joy will return to the party. And that's a good word, Troy. Thank you very much. <laughs> One final thought. Look at verse number four. I just love it. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. I've always wondered about that phrase. Dear woman, why do you bother me? My time has not yet come. I used to think my time has not yet come. Maybe that meant that Jesus was saying, um, this is not supposed to be my first miracle. I don't think that anymore. I think I've learned and grown a whole lot in my spiritual walk. My hour has not yet come. Because I discovered this in John chapter 12, verse number 23. Jesus replied. This is just before Jesus was arrested and crucified on the cross. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. My, my time has not yet come. My time has come. My time has not yet come. My time has come. In John chapter 2, you want me to bring joy to this wedding? 
my time, and it's not my time. My time has not yet come. But in John chapter 12, his death and resurrection, they're going to usher in a great wedding feast, a great wedding banquet, a party, a celebration. And Jesus says, now's the time. Now's the time. And your joy will be complete. That's where we put our hope. That's where we put our faith. And that's where we put our trust. It's party time. God, thank you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it will never return void. Thank you that you give us a hope and you give us a future. Oh God, we thank you that we can be celebratory people because you instructed us to be and because you bring joy into our lives. Lord, my prayer this morning is that we would take the joy of the Lord and we would transfer it to every person we come in contact with this week. God, that we would become contagious followers of Jesus that share this um, this joy in epidemic proportions. That God, people around us would be wondering why in the world are they so happy now because we've helped them to discover greater joy. Lord, this week, I pray that somehow you'd help us to have parties, parties in our workplaces, just spontaneous celebratory times where we celebrate the goodness of God. Lord, parties in our homes with our kids, with our families, with our neighbors. God, help us to find someone this week to celebrate and to introduce, like Levi did, our friends, our acquaintances, people in our sphere of influence, just to introduce them to Jesus. Oh God, I pray that you would help our joy to be complete and be intentional about being God's party people. We pray this in the powerful, anointed, holy name of Jesus Christ. If you agree, say amen, amen. and amen. amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap. You're party people, baby. Come on now. Praise God. Well, today is also a sad day. Unfortunately, yesterday, um, the Kansas City Chiefs did lose in the playoffs. And we're, I know, I know, I know. That's why there's a book of lamentations. We lament about this. We mourn this thing. We, I'm just having fun with you. Guys, thank you so much for being here today. I realize this is the last Sunday of Christmas vacation for most people that have kids in school, and there's a lot of families that decided they're going to get, you know, get out of town, while, out of Dodge while they can, and they're going to get back into town. Next Sunday, probably have a lot more folks back in church again, but there would be even more if your joy would be shared this week. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you rest, and may he give you peace. God bless you, New Life Church. You're dismissed. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God.